Welcome to the You Are Infinitely Loved podcast. I'm Sam. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Koos. We believe that loving yourself is the key to transforming every aspect of your life. And it's our hope that these conversations bring you one step closer towards embracing this truth. This week on the podcast, we are getting really personal. We are interviewing one of the hosts, Sam Thomas. Hello, Sam. Hey, how are you? Are you ready for us to dig into the deepest crevices of your life <laughs> to learn all the things about you? Bring it on. Have you prepared? <laughs> Let's go deep. <laughs> Let's do this. So one of the reasons why Coos and I were so drawn to Sam is if you meet her in real life, which I hope all people get to do at some point. Mm, that'd what take me a bit of time, to meet, a time. <laughs> to meet everybody in the world, but I'm up for it. I'm up for the challenge. Accepted. Mm-hmm. One thing that is really obvious about you, Sam, is that you practice what you preach. You Aww. have, of all people I know, really exemplify what it means to embrace love, to treat yourself well, and then to teach others how to do that really well. And so I can only imagine... <laughs> that you had to learn this because (laughs) maybe, I don't know, you weren't born this way. (laughs) How very perceptive of you, Lindsay. Yes, Uh, very. (laughs) You are correct. I was not born this way. Well, in a way, I guess we were all born perfectly self-loving and then we forget it very quickly. So it was a way of being that I learnt about, hmm, I feel like I probably started learning about it five years ago. So it's been a five-year journey, and I would say that maybe I've come to the place of self-acceptance and self-love that I have now in the last 18 months, maybe, maybe a little bit longer, but yeah, it's, it's, been, a, it's been a journey for sure. So maybe you are acting on what you know super intentionally right now, but it's taken you maybe a hot minute to get there. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It's taken me a while. It took me, uh, I guess, let's think about it. When do you kind of start losing your self-love? For me, I probably lost it somewhere in primary school, what we would call primary Mm -hmm. school. Um, And it got worse throughout high school. And then in my 20s, I didn't have it. And then I think it was when I turned 30 that I realized or was told (laughs) by a coach I was working with, that I had issues with um, with self-love and, and a lack of self-love. So when you think about it like that, it was probably, you know, a good um, 25 years of my life where I didn't have self-love and then it's been, yeah, it's been a three-and-a-half-year journey to learning how to love myself and a five-year journey of, like, through learning that, then implementing it and integrating it and now being in a place where I can kind of practice what I preach. Where you are perfect in all ways. <laughs> and isn't that the goal for all of us to be perfect arrived. always? Yes. <laughs> I think it's pretty interesting. I mean, there's two places I want to go. The mm-hmm. first place is what was the opposite for you? What was the opposite of self-love? Like what, what was a place where you weren't um, maybe you were self full of self-loathing? Mm-hmm. And how did you get to that place? And then second, second of all, a lot of us can know a lot about a thing, but mm-hmm. not practice it. And so you seem kind of ferocious in how you acquire information and implement it. And I feel like that's a really unique thing. And so oh. maybe you could dig a little more into that. 
Okay. Yeah, for sure. So let's start with what's the opposite. What did it look like for me? So I think everybody's self-love journey is very different and everybody has different things that they don't love or accept about themselves. And that's obviously depending on your experience. And so mine was self-loathing in the form of severe body image issues. So I really hated the way that I looked. I hated kind of everything about my physicality. Um, so my kind of feeling of, of not being good enough was always associated with, with the way that I looked. Um, and, and I guess I also had some stuff around, um, I grew up in quite an affluent area of Sydney, Australia, and, but we, our family didn't have a lot of money. We, we had more than enough money, but nowhere near the amount that my friends had. So I also had some kind of, um, uh, you know, I, the clothes I wear aren't good enough. I'm not rich enough. I'm not whatever enough. I didn't really fit in to, to high school and to, to where I was brought up. I was on a scholarship. So I, you know, was at a school where there were lots of really, really wealthy people and we weren't paying for it so we could be there, but it meant that I always kind of felt disconnected from the people that I was in high school with. But yeah, my self-loathing primarily was body image. Um, and what do I you went, mean by that? Like you're kind of skimming the surface ha. and you know, I don't skim the surface. <laughs> yeah, you're right. So, um, like really feeling like super overweight and I wasn't even that overweight, but like hating, um, any kind of like what I saw as like being fat. Uh, and I hated my, like, I hated my freckles. I'm covered in freckles. You can't see this cause it's a podcast. Now I'm totally fine with them. Uh, I also wore glasses. So I hated that I wore glasses. I felt that I looked like a nerd. Uh, this is in the eighties. So we can only imagine the enormous size of these glasses. Yeah. Oh my God. They, <laughs> they took up half my face. Um, so yeah, I didn't like my glasses. I didn't like, I didn't like my freckles, so I didn't like my skin. But more, more than anything, it was that I thought that I was fat. So, you know, I was always kind of like, oh, I have fat thighs. I have, you know, like, you know, what, what girls often depressingly think about themselves. Um, yeah, there are a bunch Did of things. Did any of this sink lower for you? Was any of this that level of something is wrong with me? I'm unlovable. I'm not worthy of affection or love. Absolutely. I mean, I definitely equated, uh, at least like not, not friendship love or family love, but like romantic love. I absolutely thought there was no way any guy would want to be with me because why would they want to be with someone that looked like me? You know? And I really thought that there, there was no way I would ever have a boyfriend because yeah, who would want to be with me? Who would want to be with someone that didn't look like the, how we should look, you know, the women in magazines or the women on TV, like, and particularly where I was from, again, I was from um, a beach area of Sydney where you spend your life like, you know, in bikinis and like running along the beach and you were supposed to look a certain way and I didn't look that way. So I absolutely equated, um, I, I mean, my image of myself had a big effect on the fact that I, I didn't have a boyfriend all through high school. Why? Because I hated myself and I didn't think that anyone would want to be with me. And so that became the truth of my reality. You know, all these things that you're judging your, yourself against, did you ever discuss it with anyone? Hmm. You know? Like, did you ever talk to your parents or your sisters or hmm. anyone? Such a good question. Do you know, 
You know what? I didn't. I wrote about it in a journal. So if you were to read my journal from high school, which I still have, I still have all of them, it's things like, oh, I wish if only I could lose this much weight, then maybe this person would like me. If only I could look like this particular girl, then maybe this guy would, you know, call me up. If only... So I wrote about it a lot, um, but other than being with other girls and all of us saying awful things about ourselves, we didn't actually talk about how we were feeling. It was more, I would say, oh, I've, I'm so fat. And, and another girl would be like, yeah, me too. And then another girl would be like, yeah, God, look, like we have to do something to change this. None of us were kind of, you know, <laughs> saying, no, that's not true. We were all in this kind of like group self-loathing. Um, yeah, so. Which I think is so common. You think about how, pervasive that is even in adulthood when women yeah. get together we're everyone kind commiserating of, together yeah, what are we saying about ourselves absolutely i want to fit in i kind of need to, to bring myself down a little bit absolutely yeah and sometimes sometimes i would i feel like even if there there's someone in the group that don't agree with you you feel like you have to like make yourself think the same way say the same thing because you want to be part of the group mm-hmm. totally that totally mm-hmm. happens all of the time Yeah. So, yeah, it's something that once you're aware of it, you start to see it everywhere in conversations, you know, like someone puts themselves down and then another person joins in and puts themselves down rather than lifting that person up, which, you know, I think that's a simple change we could all make to make the world a better place is just Mm -hmm. don't allow people to put themselves down ever, period. So here's my therapy question. You know, I have to ask it. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Go. What do you wish you could tell your teenage self right now? You really desperately needed to know that only you could have told yourself and believed, you know, like your mom might've been saying it, your friends might've been saying it, but you need to hear it from you. Mm. That is such a good question. What would I tell her? Right. Isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well done therapist. Um, What did I need to hear back then? I think, and here's here's where I'm like hesitating with the answer to this question because what I feel like I needed to hear, I also sadly think that that girl back then wouldn't have heard it. Mm -hmm. So I can sit here as an adult today and say what I needed to hear was, um, you know, you are such a freaking great human being and you're, totally lovable and nothing you can do or the way that you look no no action you can take can change that and you are loved and you will be loved and just go out into the world and believe that you know that that you're great and that your worth doesn't have anything to do with how you look but I don't think I would have believed it back when I was do you believe it now yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I really right? do. So that, that is what I want our listeners to hear. Because for a woman to say that is pretty radical. To say, I can look in the mirror and feel amazing about myself. I look in the mirror. And so like when you're looking in the mirror, what are the things that you're saying now? Oh my goodness. Back. <laughs> <laughs> I've become a bit of a mirror work crazy. So I don't know if uh, if our listeners know of mirror work, but it's basically the idea of looking in the mirror and being able to say to yourself that you love yourself and also give yourself compliments in the mirror. And uh, this is, you know, a practice that I started a few years ago, but now I can do 
and, and really believe it. So there's a few things. One thing that I do frequently say to myself in the mirror is that I love myself. I stand there and I look at myself and I say, I love you, Sam. I really, really love you. And now I actually believe it, but I also, um, so wait, go back to that. <laughs> you didn't always believe it. Cause I think that's an interesting piece. It's not like you just wake up one day and you think, okay, I'm going to heal this part of me. I'm going to look in the mirror and do this work and not feel like a total idiot. Yeah. Oh my God. I felt like an idiot for ages, but I guess I persevered because I, I really was so curious to, is there like, is there another way of being? And if I practice this hard enough and long enough and consistently enough, is it going to be like anything that you would practice consistently where one day it does start falling into place and you, you suddenly, and then there comes a time where you can't remember what it felt like for it, for it not to be the case. So I, yeah, I started this actually in 2015 was when I started mirror work and I started it in a, in a Bikram yoga class, uh, which for those that don't know, Bikram yoga is a form of hot yoga. It's incredibly torturous for a lot of people. I actually love it, but you're standing in an incredibly hot room in at, at literally your most unattractive, like you're sweating like a pig, you're hot, you're red, you're bending and contorting your body in ways that show up every single bit of, you know, unwanted fat, if you have any. You're giving um, me a very clear picture here. <laughs> and like standing in front of full length mirrors, you know? So that's, yeah, that's how it started for me. And, and I started, I deliberately used to for 60 minutes Bikram's usually 90 minutes but thankfully I was doing a 60 minute express class and I would stand there and say to myself I love you Sam I really really love you and I don't know for like the first few months even I didn't believe it I was like what a joke but the more I did it and the more I said it and combined with other things that I was doing at the time to build myself love like now I still go to Bikram and that's what I do in Bikram that's become my practice and but now I look, I say it and I believe it. There's not a single part of me that thinks, no, I don't love you. I, I like really enjoy, I enjoy my own company. I, I see myself, when I see myself in the mirror now, I see like that there's, I see the person opposite me as if it's a relationship and that I have this relationship with myself. And I think, what would I want for any relationship? I would want it to be like super fun, super kind and, and just, yeah, like I, I have fun, you know, and I, I look at myself and often I say to myself in the mirror, like, you know, thank God, like if I have to be with one person for the rest of my life, I'm pretty happy that it's you because you're pretty fun to be around. Like I actually and think that about Kitchen myself. I can um, attest that this is true. Sam <laughs> is rather fun to be around. <laughs> you can probably hear from this podcast, like I laugh a lot. I try and keep things you know, I, I take my life seriously, but I have a lightheartedness about it because I think that's what we're here for, surely. We're here to have fun. We're here to experience joy. We're here to play. And yeah, that's what I think of when I look in the mirror. I'm like, yeah, you're pretty cool. Like you're a pretty fun person to be around. Uh, and that's more the sorts of things I'm saying to myself, you know? I love that. Coos, I have to ask you, you've been kind of quiet. I feel like Sam and I can go into these... Um, I don't know, deep conversations and go into flow <laughs> quite easily. <laughs> yeah. I'm curious though, from a male perspective, this isn't probably something you experienced. Um, like just relating beauty to self-love kind of stuff. I mean, maybe, maybe it's true. I don't know. I feel like it's still something that if, when you're teenagers, it's something that you would deal with. Like 
feel like, you know, whatever, you know, a certain girl and you just feel like, oh, I don't think I'm good looking enough. I don't think I am good enough at basketball to impress this girl or smart enough or, or whatever. So I don't think it's just a, 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 a specific gender right. thing. One, one thing that, um, that Sam mentioned um, that got me, that got me thinking is that you said, if you were to tell your younger self, all these things that you're great, you are so loved. Don't worry about all these things that you're, you're, you're thinking about that, that girl would not believe you. Mm. And that's really, that's something that's really interesting because as we have younger kids and when they turn to teenager, I feel like that's something that they're going to struggle with. Mm. And just like Sam and many, and like myself, there will be things that I think wrongly about myself that I will never share with my parents. Mm. Right. For, for our listeners, for our parents, that's probably something that they're going to want to be thinking about. Like, do we, how, how do we get to our kids so that we can help them with their self-image stuff, with self-love, self-compassion, starting, starting them young. So hmm. basically, Sam, what Koos is trying to say is <laughs> we need to figure out a way in which to prevent our children from having to deal with this. <laughs> Safeguard our well, sweet innocent babies. I, I don't, I'm not saying to prevent them from feeling this. Oh, I this. am. I totally. <laughs> they're gonna feel it. They're gonna experience all these things. We need to provide them with tools to yeah work through it. Mm -hmm. Right. You know what? I so they'll be this a, is, they'll be really interesting. I think this is like such an interesting point that you raise. Like it. It's because it's kind of heartbreaking to feel like, oh, well, like, is this pointless then? Like, uh, is this like a rite of passage where every teenager feels like shit about themselves? Like, let's seriously hope not. I think when I look back and I think, well, why wouldn't she have believed that? Like, if I had said that to her, what was it that, like, why am I saying that I wouldn't have heard it? And I think a part of it is because it would have been one voice drowned out by a pervasive culture of comparison, not enoughness, you know, like all of my friends would have still been, uh, you know, giving their own, like having their own self-loathing, which I would have been picking up on. You know, you're still exposed to back then. I mean, these days it's even worse because there's social media, but back then it was just magazines and TV. And I think, I think, I could have heard the message if it was a consistent message or if it was, you know, like if it was something that I talked about with my friends or that there were, yeah, there were sources of that information other than just me saying it to myself. Mm -hmm. Like, and so I think that that's something helpful for us to think about is like, how can we revolutionize the world? But in all seriousness, like how can we, you know, teach self-love in our schools? How can we, uh, be really, I guess as parents, like, could, could you find like really, really great people that are doing amazing stuff on social media that is all, you know, there's so many kind of like self-love coaches out there and body positivity and there's great people that maybe your daughter could follow when she's that age. And like, how can you make sure that you're, you know, uh, creating a culture where yours isn't the only voice telling your kids that they're good enough. I think we all need to be doing this together. And then, you know, that message will get amplified. I think planting those seeds of possibility 
mm. that, yeah, the culture says this thing, um, that you're never enough, but is there a chance something else could exist? Finding mm. those consistencies of possibility. Or that the culture is wrong. Right, right. Yeah. And even just like having really like, I mean, they might seem like huge, like discussions to have with young kids, but talking about like, if someone have explained to me, of course the media needs us to all feel like we're not enough because they need to sell us products that then make us enough, like to kind of explain like that what's going the on? commercialism <laughs> behind all of this. And, and the fact that, you know, uh, these products are created like, you are made to feel as though you're not good enough without this product so that you buy the product. You know, like those types of just open conversations, like I think if I'd known, ah, oh, there's an ulterior motive to this, like maybe you can, I would have looked at that information in a different way. Who knows? Maybe I would have been too young, but I think the more we can kind of be transparent and talk about what's really going on here and, yeah, and plant the seeds of possibility and plant different ideas, uh, then, yeah, then maybe our teenagers won't have to go through what I went through or, you know, what most of us went through, at least not to the same extent, let's hope. When do you feel like you said your journey has been mostly in the past five years? Mm -hmm. What, talk a little bit about your career, um, mm -hmm. what you're doing when this stuff kind of hit the fan for you. Yeah. Okay. So, um, at the time I was working in TV, so <laughs> It's pretty funny to think about someone that had body image issues then going into a career where I am surrounded by beautiful people that are TV ready and that are made for camera and that are particular size and weight and shape. And these were my colleagues and therefore my friends. And so I would hang out with them and confirm, good old confirmation bias, confirm my belief that I was not thin enough, pretty enough, good enough, whatever enough. So I was working in TV, very healthy industry to be working in when you have body image issues. And I went to see a health coach because why? I felt overweight and not good enough and not slim enough and not everything well, enough. And, and I thought this woman can help me with like nutrition and exercise and she can whip me into shape and then I'll be beautiful enough to score a man. Like this pattern literally continued from my teenage life all the way through until I was 30. Um, and when I started working with her, she was the first one to kind of talk to me about the fact that, you know, my my health issues had nothing to do with my nutrition and my exercise. And then it had everything to do with the fact that I didn't like myself. I didn't love myself. I was treating my body like rubbish because I didn't think I deserved any better. Um, you know, I did, there was a whole bunch of, of deeper reasons why my health wasn't great. And so she began, I guess, my very first self-love practice, which was a body gratitude practice where I had to send her three things I was grateful for about my body every single day. So that was like my opening into, ah, there could be a different way to look at my body and therefore a different way to look at myself. Um, but yeah, it never so occurred to me. So I that first time, the first time mm. you're sending her these here's here's my body gratitudes where you're just like i hate this lady. oh my this god i hated it i want and my I money back you, yeah. help me lose weight? i was like i'm not even great so i literally started with i'm grateful i can walk i'm grateful i can i have arms that write mm. i'm great which sound and and i mean that sounds kind of ridiculous but it's so true like how freaking amazing is it that i have a fully functional body 
But I had to start with functionality because I couldn't look at anything aesthetic because, oh, my God, I still, I was in this place of body hatred. So it was a really cool exercise and the consistency and her making, keeping me accountable to that as a great coach will do just made me look at my body every day in a different way because I had to. I had to send it to her. So I had to start like thinking, hmm, could I be grateful for this? Like, is there a way, you know? So that was, yeah, that was my entry point into the whole thing. It's ground zero. Yeah. If you could go back in time, what, did you feel like this was a waste of time or did you have this like glimmer in your soul of maybe this is the key? Maybe this, there's something to this. I absolutely, yeah, no, I knew from the beginning when I started doing it, even though it felt hard, it felt like, ah, this is actually changing something. And I can see how this, yeah, this could really be the key to, to making some, some real changes in this area. And for me, that experience was so transformative. I had zero uh, idea at the time that I would ever be a life coach, which is what I am today. It was not even in my realm of possibility. I'd never considered it. But I worked with her for three months and my life changed so positively in three months that I was like so fascinated by what she had just done and how she had used this process of, I guess, questioning me, giving me actions, holding me accountable. And that was what led me to decide that I would at least study coaching to see whether it was something that I wanted to do. But I had never, ever dreamt that it would be something that I did. So that, I mean, that health coach really, and she's still a friend of mine, she absolutely changed my life. So you stayed in TV while studying to be a coach? Yeah. Well, <laughs> I had a brief exit period. So I exited TV. I got into another role, uh, which I despised. <laughs> and and it was really, it was, it was just this job that I didn't want to go to bed at night because I didn't want to wake up in the morning. That was the level of of hatred I had for this job. Like it was soul sucking. So then I thought, once I started studying coaching, from the moment I started, I knew this is like, this is my next step. Like, this is what I want to do next. Um, I never say, this is it. This is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Because I think we all change and we grow and who knows. But I definitely knew this is next. So once I knew that, I thought, well, why don't I get out of this soul sucking job and go back to TV? Because even though there was a bunch of reasons why TV wasn't good for me long term, it was still... It was something that I enjoyed and that I could do and that I was good at. So I returned to TV and yeah, I was in TV and I was studying coaching. And then what's next? And then how, like, how did you end up in Thailand after <laughs> TV in Paris, yes, right? to our listeners. Absolutely. <laughs> it's actually a pretty funny story. So um, I, I remember I was sitting in the newsroom and there was a, an ad well, an ad, and a, a post in, in the private Facebook group for the coaching school that I was studying at. And this post said, uh, we are starting a new internship program at the number one health retreat in Phuket. And we want life coaches to come here and to coach our guests. Does, is anyone interested in this opportunity? And I was like, hell yeah. <laughs> why not? Like, why not go to Thailand for a few months and practice this stuff? And and so that's what I did. I, I, you know, it didn't happen straight away. I had about, uh, it was about a year between seeing that post and actually making the move to Thailand. 
And in that year, I started working remotely as a virtual assistant, which is like a personal assistant, but yeah, but remotely for another coach in Australia. And I would do the odd freelance producing shift at Sky News at the time. So I kind of did that for a year and then, uh, and then made the move to Thailand for initially just three months. Uh, and then, yeah, <laughs> it's been a few years and I'm still here. So. <laughs> so when you first moved to Thailand, you were not a life coach slash self-compassion coach. You were, you were working with expats doing something, right? Could you- could you speak Absolutely. a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So when I did my um, coaching, like, what do you call it, diploma? I was going to call it a degree. But when I studied coaching, one of the things that you do is you kind of think about, well, what would, who are the people that you want to coach? Who are the people that you want to serve? Do you have a niche? Uh, and usually through the process of kind of self-inquiry and looking at your own life, it's often an issue that you personally struggle with that then becomes the thing that motivates you to want to work with people on this issue. So for me, I had been an expat. I'd lived in Paris for four years. I'd also lived in Canada and I had found it incredibly hard when I moved home. The experience of re-entry, repatriation, I really, really struggled with it. I found it, yeah, just really difficult. And I thought, oh my goodness, if there were a coach back then, if I could have had a coach to help me through that process, it would have made it so much more bearable. It would have made me get through the pain quicker and to the other side. It would have just made me feel like I wasn't alone. So it became very evident to me that that's who I wanted to coach. I wanted to work with expats and people repatriating. So that's, I set up an online business doing that and I would blog about that and I would, I would do that. And then, um, I guess the other journey of my life and the other pain point in my life was this very personal story with self-love, going from self-loathing to self-love. And initially I was like, oh, I can't do both. How do you know, do I, am I the expat repat coach or am I the self-love coach? And, and then I just got to this stage where I thought, why can't I do both? Of course I can do both. I've experienced both and I'm passionate about both. And so what I do in Phuket is very much uh, focused on self-love because I think that's universal. There is not a single person in this world who can't benefit from having more self-love and self-compassion. So that's what I teach to everyone and anyone who will listen. And then we also have a a number of people that come to our retreat that are expats and a lot of them are in a transition phase and they're moving home, so they're repatriating. So with them, when I know that they're an expat or a repat, then I go and coach them on that. So yeah, I get to do both. Love that. I want you to coach me all the time. But wait, <laughs> you already do. Benefit of being friends with Sam. <laughs> Sam, if you feel like there is one thing that has been a powerful force in moving you from self-loathing mm. to self-love, what would you say? What could you what what could you offer up? Okay. I will just give just you one, one. thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that it's interesting to note that. Sam has told me she has a laundry list of things she does on a daily basis mm-hmm. to promote this relationship with herself. Mm-hmm. And I think when you first hear it, you think, where do you have the time to do all this? <laughs> but it really highlights the fact that um, you make time for it. If you want a good relationship with yourself, you have to make time for it. Yeah. And it has to be priority and it can't be a negotiable thing. It has to be important. And yeah. when you start to see your relationship with yourself change? Why, why wouldn't you keep up with this? So if you could talk a little bit about what your day looks like 
with some of these things you've added in. Mm. Okay. Yeah, for sure. There are a number of practices that I do and I'm not going to go through all of them because we will go through them in another episode because there's a lot. But what I would say, I would like the number one easiest tool, which sounds kind of ridiculous is to put a photo of yourself as a child, preferably under the age of five as the image on your, on your phone, on your cell phone, on your mobile phone, whatever you whatever you call it, um, as the screensaver. Uh, because, one, we look at that phone like 15, 16 times an hour. Speak for yourself, oh. Sam. <laughs> All 50 right here. 100. Time. <laughs> and, okay, so why, why is this so powerful? Why has it fundamentally changed the way I see myself? Okay, when you look at yourself as a child, One, you see the true version of yourself. You see this playful, lovable human being that didn't have any self-doubt, any self-worth issues, any self-confidence issues, any self-loathing. When you're you're young and you're a kid, you're just who you are. You're joyful, um, you know, and that comes through in a photo. And when you're looking at yourself that way, you realize when you start to say negative things about yourself, I always say that having that photo is the quickest way to shut down the inner critic because my inner critic used to say things like, you're fat, you're ugly, because my you know, issue was body image. And when I look into the eyes of myself as a child, I cannot bring myself to say to her, you're fat, you're ugly, because it's not true. She's not. It's an adorable photo. And, and there's this acknowledgement of looking into your own eyes. When I look into them, I think, she does not deserve to be spoken to like that. And she is me. Therefore, I do not deserve to be spoken to like that. So it is a super powerful way of shutting down any, any negative self-talk. And it's also, yeah, it's, it's a reminder of who you really are, of the unconditioned self, of the perfectly lovable, worthy human being that we all are and that we were when we came into the world. And the more that you can connect to that version of yourself, to the child version of yourself, and not this kind of crazy adult who you've ident- you know you've attached all of these roles and identities to then the easier it is to love and accept yourself so that is like the easiest best tool i can give anyone is to just change the screensaver on your phone and i'm going to bring it up because it was brought up to me recently at the camp we we're at guys that <laughs> we have a lot of parents that want photos of their kids on their phones <laughs> and i would say is there a way you can use an app where you have both yourself as a child and your kids in the one photo. You know, there's so many like photo collage apps or can you have one as a screen, one as your background and one as your lock screen, like get it on there because I think it's also really great for your kids to see that you have a photo of yourself as a kid. They can connect and be like, oh, wow, yeah, mom used to be a child, which is a novel idea. And also to to tell them like why it is that you're doing it to be like, you know, I want to be more like you guys. I want to be more playful. I want to be more childlike. I want to be more loving, more joyful, whatever. I think start the conversation. So if you're a parent and you want your kids on your phone, I get it. I'm not a parent, but I can imagine you need them there, but you can put yourself on there too. Please put yourself on there. I have shared my picture, Sam, on Foxer. Yeah. I don't know if I want to traumatize my kids with my <laughs> picture of me sitting on a on a liger. Hey. Oh, I think it needs to go in the show notes. <laughs> I think it does. Here's it's what we're an adding adorable to the show notes. I love it. We're love adding it. journal entries from Sam's teenage diary. 
uh-huh. writing photos, photos of, of us. Toost with his liger, <laughs> taming a liger. <laughs> this photo is kind of amazing. It's... I love it. I love it. Well, I think what I, I'm thinking about a listener out there in podcast land who might be thinking, and I could say this for myself, a few years ago, if I had heard this, I would be thinking this exact thought of, well, that's all well and great for Sam, mm. but it's it's not for me. Mm. Like the self love stuff is, um, it's cheesy. If if they really knew me, too out there. It's yeah. It's either too out there or it's not practical. Or I need to spend time loving others. I I, I don't want to be some narcissistic, self absorbed <laughs> person. Mm. Uh, I think that's kind of I feel probably like that should be another topic we discussed the difference between self-love self-compassion and narcissism i will absolutely discuss that on another episode (laughs) because i i have a lot of thoughts on that because i've researched that because that is the number one biggest thing that people tell me is like when i say what's the disadvantage of having self-love they're like i'm gonna become selfish or narcissist or like which is fundamentally untrue and the absolute opposite of self-love but we can go into that in another episode but yeah to your point Lindsay, i i mean i'm gonna throw it back to you and i would throw it back to the listener of the podcast and i would say okay what is it about self-love that makes you uncomfortable oh do you want me to answer that right now yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i think that for me it would be this idea of if i'm spending all this time practicing self-love mm-hmm I could be using that same time, energy, resources to be giving someone else love, Mm -hmm. to be serving someone else. So it feels like a selfish endeavor then. Mm -hmm. I would say to you, look at me with my response. I'm like firing. I'm ready to go. Please coach me on air. I would say, you know what? You're actually going to spend all of the time and energy that you currently spend hating yourself, loving yourself. So there's no more time or energy. So what I'm talking about is not doing extra things that are going to take time. I'm talking about replacing a shitty negative voice with a beautiful loving voice. So you are already spending a lot of time and energy thinking about yourself. It's just thinking about yourself in a really unhelpful negative way. And if you ask me, that is the most selfish waste of time and we all do it. Look at Sam go. Now (laughs) get me fired up. (laughs) What fires Sam up? Watch out world. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean I, obviously you can hear, I get fired up. I get passionate. That was not meant as an attack, but I think one of the best things, and, and I think I heard this in a podcast too, in a, in a different way, but it was a woman talking about this was this idea that we all think that if we're self-loving that, yeah, that we're going to just be thinking about ourselves all the time and become selfish. But that's absolutely what we are doing anyway, is we're thinking about ourselves all of the time and we're being selfish. It's just that we're thinking about ourselves in a negative way, which also affects the way that we love other people. Because when we judge ourselves, we project that judgment onto other people. So I'm not talking about spending any more time or energy doing anything. I'm just saying, switch out the time and energy you put into disliking yourself and put that time and energy into loving yourself because your whole world will change. So I, so I know that um, I've had this conversation with other people before where, you know, explaining what self-love, self-compassion means. And I'll just be like, well, is it like positive thinking where you can't think anything negative? You can't feel anything negative. Everything's just happy all the time. Mm. What, what, do you, what do you have to say about that? Sam, you never have a negative thought, do you? Yeah, you're always, you're always happy all the time. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> oh, my word. <laughs> what a joke. Um, that's a really good question. So what I would say to that is, no, self-love is not about uh, 
you know, always being positive and happy all the time. And um, it's about uh, treating yourself like a friend, you know, like you are going to go through hard times and you're going to have struggles and you're going to have challenges and you're going to make mistakes. Why? Because you're a human being and that's what we do. But it's about how, how can you be loving when that happens? How can you extend the same compassion that you would offer to your best friend? How can you extend that to yourself? This isn't about putting on Pollyanna glasses and being like, I'm the most perfect individual and I can do no wrong. It's about saying when I do wrong, I treat myself with kindness and compassion. And so, yeah. Wow. That, <laughs> I would say that. That's powerful. Permission to feel all the feels. <laughs> Permission to feel all the feels and to comfort yourself through them. Well, Sam, I feel like I spent a lot of time talking mm. to you. You're, we're on Voxer all the time, listeners. Um, doing, I get my own personal <laughs> podcast from Sam. Yeah. As she can leave 15, 20-minute long Voxers. I am so sorry to the people in the Voxer world for my 20-minute monologues. <laughs> I often do double time. So when I hear you speak at normal speed, I'm like, whoa, really slow today. Um, so that said, um, I'm so thankful that you share your practice with me personally. I feel like you're so generous with offering what's worked for you and offering tools up for anyone who listens. Your passion about it really comes through. And so I feel really grateful for you. Aww. Yeah, thank you, Sam. Thank you guys so much. And I'm so happy to have met you both and to have you guys here to collaborate with because this stuff is so much more fun when you get to share it with others and when you get to hear multiple voices talking about it in different ways because I think, you know, we all need to hear it from the person that for whatever reason resonates with us and it might not be me. So if it's not me, I want it to be Lindsay or Coos or, you know, anyone else out there. So I'm so, so, so grateful that I've met partners in crime on this self-love and self-compassion journey because it just makes it so much more enjoyable because self-love is a crime <laughs> it's a total crime if self-crime is wrong i don't want to be right oh my word <laughs> well i think that's it for this week thank you for listening to this episode our hope is that each day you feel more connected to the knowledge that you are infinitely loved if you want to continue this conversation, you can find us at yourinfinitelyloved.com.